Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good to see you today. Catherine's been with the Lord um, two weeks now, or as I like to say, my wife ran off with another man. <laughs> ran, ran straight off to another man and promised her a better mansion. What can you do? <laughs> I didn't realize she was um, going to die that swiftly. I preached that morning in Chapel Hill and came home and uh, given her a kiss on her forehead and she didn't open her eyes. She was struggling to breathe a little bit and then I I went out to preach the Chinese church and just as I'd finished the message in comes Dr. Poon with his fist clenched looking like thunder and I thought what in the world's eating him and he came up and said uh, your daughter called me your wife has died well gee whiz immediately there were about a hundred Chinese people that started wailing uh, they really get expressive with their emotions. And my translator is this very erudite uh, physics professor that's retired early from Princeton. Uh, he, he started just praying in Cantonese and they were all touching me. And by the time I got home, my whole shirt was wet. And some of those were my tears, but most of them were people from, from China. And, if you live to be a hundred, you remember moments like that. Uh, I certainly would have stayed home with her had I known, but uh, she just went down really quickly. And we'd been praying that uh, since the Lord didn't seem to want to heal her, both of us felt thanksgiving that we should quit asking for healing and just ask for grace. Uh, but we began to pray that the Lord would take her swiftly, receive her swiftly, and he did. He sure did. Um, my daughter Claire was nursing her, and as her breaths came fewer and fewer, Claire just got in bed and put her arms around her. So that's how Catherine went to be with the Lord, with her favorite person in the world, her baby girl, that's now pushing 50. <laughs> <clears throat> Grief is an interesting thing. I'm filled with thanksgiving for the life that Catherine and I had together. I'm filled with praise that she's not suffering anymore. But I'm also filled with anticipation that I will come home and she'll have some brownies and ice cream and be standing at the door saying, how was it? <laughs> and you, you entertain those thoughts and then you realize, no, no, that's not quite going to happen. But it's, uh, it's okay. Um, one of my other widow friends in Chapel Hill said, it's a new chapter of your life, and you've got a lot to figure out. I actually did something I've never done in my life before this week. I went grocery shopping. <laughs> Do you know that there are at least 20 types of bread on the shelf? <laughs> when all you want's bread, which one do you pick? And how big a loaf do you get? And I actually fried myself an egg sandwich. And I waited for me to die. <laughs> but it, 
it tasted good and I didn't die. So I'm learning to grocery shop and learning to, um, to cook a little bit. And life is good. I suspect that my children have been on the phone talking to some of my Chapel Hill friends saying, keep him busy. The phone's been ringing off the hook, and of course I like that, but I'm a little busier than I wanted to be. Silence can be a good thing, too. We have an interesting subject today, competition. I don't know that you've ever heard a sermon on sports, but um, this is a study of competition. And for a text, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verse 28 following, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them good answers, he said, of all the commandments, Lord, which one is the more important one? The most important one, answered Jesus, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray. Lord, with uh, sports playing such an interesting role in our lives, in our culture around us, Give us a theology of competition. Help us to process what sports are doing in us and through us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Which is the largest sports stadium in America? And how many does it seat? Anybody? Largest sports stadium in America. <laughs> That's not a bad guess, but it's actually between Michigan and Tennessee. They're in a race back and forth. They keep adding bleachers. But right now, the largest sports arena is Michigan. It seats 107,000 people. Now, how many did the Colosseum or the Circus Maximus seat in the Roman world? The Circus Maximus, their sports arena. How many did it seat? 300,000 people. Yeah. From Michigan's 107,000 in the modern era they could actually seat 300,000 people. When the Circus Maximus was built, it was dedicated in a four-month sports festival. There were chariot races. Ben-Hur, the movie, is them riding around the Circus Maximus in races. Uh, you could flood it, and they actually had mock sea battles. And the gladiators killed 12,000 animals and 10,000 men in the dedication ceremony that lasted four months. Now, Roman citizens were sports addicted. 
In fact, we get the word Roman holiday from that, just the government's blessing of the people to give them another day off with pay uh, so they would be distracted from the real problems, the Roman holiday. In the United States, we've got back-to-back football, basketball, soccer, hockey, curling, golf, tennis, NASCAR, baseball, the Olympics. These are just to name a few. There are always new sports being developed. Pickleball is taken over like nothing I've ever seen. There are TV stations totally dedicated to nothing but sports 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it starts young. A young Stokely lad in my church in Wilmington from years back had played football since he was six years old. By the time he was 16, he was having bone structural problems. And the doctor x-rayed him and said the kid had more joint tissue issues than an 80-year-old man, all from the blows of sports. I went to a Clemson football game a few years ago, and it was so over-the-top adulation that I felt like it was a worship service. It was almost like being a pagan uh, just to go there and see the adulation of their sports people. Or maybe you picked it up in the news in the past 10 years. A son of a certain family was not getting enough playing time on the hockey uh, rink. And so the father argued with the coach and beat the coach to death. His only motive was, you're not playing my son enough. Then there's Thanksgiving Day. We wolf the food down, barely giving a glance towards heaven so we can get to the TV and watch the sporting events that are there. It seems like winning isn't everything. It's the only thing in this generation. It's like a t-shirt that I saw. Football is life. The rest is details. There are people who actually believe that. And we need to get a grip and ask, what is all this sporting doing to us, for us, and against us? And I want us to use the lens of the great commandment to ask what sports is doing for our relationships. Uh, I remember playing football myself. Every time it rains, I remember football. In my neck, and my fingers, and my elbows. Um, sometimes I, I wonder why I ever played. I didn't know what I know now, because <laughs> it hurts, and it hurts later. <laughs> But we used to talk trash on the football field. And I was a lineman, and you wanted to make that first hit of the game a good one. You wanted him to start dreading the whole rest of the night. And so you would fire off the line and throw a forearm under his chin and his chest, hit him as hard as you could, and he would do the same for you. And then you begin to talk trash to each other. Hey, do you like that? I'll be here every play. There's plenty more where that came from. Do you enjoy that? I'll give you some more. Come on back the next play, and I'll knock you flat. It's just you and me, buddy. We're going to dance all night long. Now, the text says that's bad theology. There's something more going on in sports than you and me. There's a third person, and it's Almighty God. 
And we need to ask, what is this sport doing for or against my relationship with God? The text talks about loving the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. It means that we're to be the best loving people in the spirit of Christ, physically, spiritually, and in our soul, our emotion, will, and intellect. Now, what can sports do for my relationship with God? It can teach me respect for authority, a coach. It can teach me discipline. And I have to say this with the transfer portal being so wide open, not being a starter can teach me that being second is okay and I can help the starter by practicing with him and making him better and I can help the team by having a backup because he's one injury away from me being a starter and today there's no loyalty like that on the team if the coach doesn't play me I'm out of here I'll find a coach that will play me it can teach you sportsmanship it can increase your witness. I was at a UNC baseball game a few years ago, and there was a real tussle going on between a, a guard and a little seven or eight-year-old boy. Boy had a baseball hat on for Carolina backwards. He had a bat slung over his shoulder. Uh, he wore his hair like a certain shortstop on the Carolina team. And the coach said, you can't be here, son. You've got to get back up at the bleachers. No, I want to be here. I have to be here, the little boy said. Son, you can't be here. You've got to get back up in the bleachers. No, I have to be here. Why do you have to be here, son? Because he's in there, and he's coming out soon, and I want to get his autograph. And this little boy just wanted to be near his idol, his sports star. And what an influence we have as athletes or, or such to influence the younger generation. I'm always thankful for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the incredible ministry it offers there. So what can sports do, not just for my relationship with God, teaching me discipline to be the best I can be? What can it do against my relationship with God? Well, it can make you swagger. It can make you arrogant. Do you remember a quarterback of your youth, some of you older people, Joe Namath? Do you remember the book Joe Willie Namath wrote in the 1960s? I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. He actually wrote that book. And uh, Joe Namath, boy, he could swagger. Uh, I hope he's become a Christian, but he was far from it in those days. Um, sports can, can make you feel no need for God. Uh, the adulation that people give you, you begin to believe it. You begin to believe you're something special and you can take care of yourself. It can also be a great distraction. At a Duke tennis match last spring, the announcer came on the air and said, we welcome you back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for the Duke University tennis match with the Carolina Tar Heels, the tennis match of the of the year, tomorrow morning, Sunday, 10 a.m. And I thought, now Duke is supposed to be a Christian school. And here they are profaning the Sabbath, saying, oh, forget church. Where you want to be is here in the arena. 
I remember when my kids were growing up on the soccer, a coach was told, my kids will play for you, but we don't do Sunday soccer. Uh, we have a more important engagement. Oh, that's no problem, Mr. Crouch. We're glad to have your boys. A month later, Brian comes home from soccer and says, hey, we've, we've got a, a soccer match on Sunday. I told the coach I can't be there, but he was kind of bent out of shape about it. He's going to call you. And sure enough, the coach called me and said, hey, we really need your son. He's our goalie, and we've got to have him Sunday morning. I said, do you remember I told you that, that he didn't play Sunday morning? We had a, a prior engagement. He said, oh, well, this one's more important. This match has been planned for a half a year. And I said, the Sabbath has been planned for a lot longer than that. <laughs> Sports can also help, help you lose your priorities. Interesting, we've had a snow day today. Uh, didn't really stick, but I, I've seen two feet of snow on the ground. And uh, we had a rule in my church in Burlington. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing. If you can get out to church safely, don't hurt yourself. Don't take undue risk. But if you can get out to church, we're going to have church with who can show up. That's just a, a normal thing that we did. Now, often you would um, be at that service, and instead of having 200 people, you would have 20. Some of the really most special memories of church I've had were from my youth and earlier pastorates where on a snowy day, just 20 of us came. Great intimacy, a great time in the Lord together. But I noticed something about people in my part of the world. The Tar Heels were playing basketball on the same Sunday it snowed. It was too deep to get to church, but everybody with tickets made it to the Dean Dome. And go figure. You can begin to see the distraction, the loss of priorities, the arrogance. So that's something of what sports can do for and against a relationship with God. Now, what can sports do for your relationship with your neighbor, with people? The text says that we're not just you and me in the sporting event, but we've got to consider what it does for our relationship with God, for and against. Also, we need to ask, how does this sport impact my relationship in a productive way with people and in a negative way with people? First of all, what can it do for your relationship with other people? Socrates, who commented on a lot of things, said this about sports. In sports, my competitor is my friend when he pushes me to do my best. Sports competition can teach you to play on a team to sacrifice, to keep a cheerful heart when you don't start. It was sports that broke racial barriers in the United States. Jackie Robinson became the first black baseball player. The biography of him that made into a movie, I think it's called Number Something, is 42. It really tells the story. Um, it can also teach you grace under pressure. It can teach you to control your temper. It can teach you to have dignity when you've been defeated. 
It can teach you a lot about human relationships. But what can it do against your relationship with God? Well, take boxing. The purpose of boxing is to take a person who's made in the image of God. God looked on what he made and he said, Behold, it's very good. And you get with that very good creation of God made in his image. And what's your purpose in boxing? To hit the image of God in that person as hard as you can with your gloved fist and deface him or knock him out. I was invited to a Messiah College a few years back and um, I was supposed to be uh, speaking in chapel two weeks but then they threw in a third event, a debate between a PE professor on sports and sports addiction. And I, I really wasn't that interested in the subject, but I thought, I, I can do that. And we found out pretty quickly that he and I agreed that the purpose of sports was to glorify the Lord, to help me mature in my relationship with Christ, and to help me love my neighbor in making him a better athlete as he makes me a better athlete on the field. And what we agreed about was this. Head-to-head sports tend to be on the edge of Christian acceptability. Uh, a sport where you, your purpose is to drive the other person off the field, to knock them down, to hurt them, to overcome them with force and violence. Uh, is, is really on the edge of the Christian ethic. Uh, Dwight David Eisenhower retired near Messiah College on a dairy farm, and he gave a lot of money to Messiah College, and they named a gym after him, the Eisenhower uh, Gym. And there's a quote of Eisenhower on the wall inside that gym. It says this, The true purpose of sports is to prepare young men for war. Now, I, I realize that a sport like football has taught me a lot of things that have been very valuable in life. Uh, and there is a time for war when you say to another person, you will not come here. You will not cross this line. That behavior is unacceptable. And I will oppose you with all the strength I have and I can muster. And so I, I have to caveat saying head-to-head -head sports aren't within the Christian ethic by saying, really, some head-to-head -head sports are necessary because it teaches you skills of war that you might need in a troubled time. But I am convinced of this. And the professor there at the university and I really agreed on this point. It's side-by-side -side sports that really fall under the pale of Christian sports. Sports where, like in track, I compete with you side by side. I don't run into you. I don't try to knock you out. I just try to best you. And there are plenty of side by side sports. Certainly, tennis could be in that. Uh, soccer on some level, though you can play soccer pretty violently today, can't you? Now, let's ask a third question. We've asked, what can sports do for and against my relationship with God, for and against my relationship with people? The third question let's ask is this, what can this sport do for my relationship with myself 
or against my relationship with myself. When I was in high school, we went to the state championship game my senior year. We played a team from the mountains called Canton. And these boys had one leg longer than another from standing on the side of a mountain. And the guy that I was to play head on was the biggest human being I've ever seen, Jimmy Poston, 287 pounds. I was 190 pounds. And I remember looking at the game films at this Goliath and saying out loud to nobody in particular, I don't know that I can handle him. And Coach Bobby Basel heard me say that, and he stood me up, and he got real close, and he stuck his finger in my face, and he said, Kratz, you're building a case against yourself. Don't ever build a case against yourself. Your enemy will do that. Be a friend to yourself. Connie Mack, one of the great sports leaders in American baseball, said, I guess more players lick themselves than are licked by opposing teams. The first thing that man has to do is how to handle himself. And sports can teach us manners. It can teach us to overcome defeat. It can teach us to believe in ourselves. It can make us fit. It can give us discipline, enthusiasm, confidence, sportsmanship, a place to fit in. In other words, it can make us better. But what can sports do as a negative against our relationship with ourself? The ego and the applause and the pride and the preening can leave us in what psychologists call a prolonged experience of adolescence. I went yesterday with a friend to see um, a lacrosse game at Chapel Hill. I've been wanting to do that for years. I don't understand lacrosse. Uh, not many Southern boys do. It's a New England game, but it's way south now, and it's all over Duke's campus in Carolina. In fact, they win national championships there. Let's just say that the lacrosse players have the biggest swagger on campus. Uh, they attract the females. And they're all blue-eyed, blonde-haired, usually from very wealthy families, and they look down on others in their cockiness. Very prideful people. It can lead to cheating. Steroids. Do you remember the, the guy we used to admire so much in the, um, the French bike race? And the guy that won it so many times, it turned out that he was on steroids, taking shortcuts and cheating. There's so much of that in America today. Well, I could go on and on, but what I wanted to do is just give you a lens in which to, to look at sports and analyze it. What is this sport doing for me? Do you have to tear your body down to be fit? Or can you play a side-by-side -side sport and actually build your body up and build the body up of your opponent without defacing one another? What can it do for your relationship with God? Can it make you humble, a team player, a sportsman? Or can it keep you arrogant? And what can it do for and against your relationship with people? I remember meeting Ray Nitschke once. Anybody remember Ray Nitschke? He was the... Um, 
Chicago Bears linebacker. He said, playing football on Sunday afternoon was like being given a license to go totally berserk on another human being for several hours every Sunday afternoon. What a theology of sports he didn't have. Go with me back to the Roman Empire, if you will. Biblically, God doesn't give us a bunch of rules, but he gives us a lens through which we can view sports and we can discern boundaries and relationships. And in our private inner life, we can say, do I need to be playing this sport? Am I staying in the good side of it or falling off in the negative side of it? Back to the Roman Empire, it's the late 300s AD. The Roman Empire is in serious decline. To keep the people placated and to keep their minds off what's really happening in the empire, they keep adding Roman holidays. Wagon loads of grain are brought into the city each day and dumped so that people can eat free and not riot. And the Circus Maximus is open again as it is just about every weekend and many weekdays for a Roman holiday. The gladiators will fight. There'll be a sea battle, a chariot race. The Circus Maximus on this particular day is incredibly full. And there is a death duel going on the field between two gladiators. A monk is walking into the city about then. Christianity is, is just beginning to take over the Roman Empire's imagination and more and more people are beginning to believe. And this monk walks into the city and he hears the roar of a crowd which leads him to the Circus Maximus. He's standing on the back row and he sees these two gladiators hacking each other with a sword. And he cries out, for the love of God, forbear. The arena doesn't hear him. The gladiators are impervious. And he walks further down into the Circus Maximus. For the sake of Christ, forbear, he cries out again. And this time the crowd hears him and looks at this strangely dressed monk. And finally he goes out on the sand. And he stands between these two gladiators. For the love of Christ, forbear. Well, the two gladiators look around like, What's going on here? And finally, one of them draws his sword and just uh, hacks the monk to death. And he dies for the love of Christ, I say again, forbear. The stadium fell dreadfully silent when the monk fell dead. People looked at each other. They looked at the blood pouring into the sand. What have we become what are we doing here, celebrating this type of violence? And one by one, the crowd began to leave. And historians point that as the date when gladiator fights to the death began to die in the Roman Empire. And not many years later, actually became banned and no longer fought. We need prophets in the industry like that. We need it desperately in our country. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that there is not one activity outside of your lordship. Teach us to be sportsmen. 
to enjoy the good of it, to eschew the bad of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.